This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and enter the promo code FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and we have another pre-recorded show for you, this one going out on Tuesday, September 18th. And joining me via Skype in the Full HQ studio is Senior Molly Full contributor Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit, um, I missed you, man. How's everything? Everything is great, listeners. Isashiburi desne. I will hopefully remember to explain why I just said that, but I believe that's poor Japanese for it's been a while. Um, I've been well. It's great summer so far. I hope everyone out there is having a great summer. How about you, man? How's your summer going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, going on vacation soon to Spain, so. No complaints from me. That's why we're pre-recording these shows. It's my first time traveling, uh, or at least for part of the trip, it will be my first time traveling with just my mom. So that'll be kind of a new experience. We tend to have different interests when it comes to traveling, but uh, she doesn't get to to go abroad as much. So I'm just going to try and make sure it's as fun as possible for her. You are the best son. I, I like to think so. Uh, so you, you will be after this sh- after this trip. Yes, exactly. She's really excited, so that it's nice to see her get uh, kind of really pumped for the trip. A lot of eating. We both share that love, so that makes it a little easier. Uh, but I'm excited to have you back, uh, especially since uh, we're going to be updating and revisiting a topic, and maybe this will become kind of an annual thing. We last discussed the movie industry and the box office around this time last year, so we have. Updated results on tap uh, from the box office, and we're also going to talk about the growing popularity of some of these membership plans for moviegoers, thanks to the rise of MoviePass, and how that uh, could reshape the industry in terms of attendance and also uh, the profitability for theater operators and how that shakes out. So, Asa, why don't you start us off um, some of the big picture box office results so far for 2018? Um, is from what I could see, it looks like. We're going to be reversing the trend, um, at least relative to the down year that we had in 2017. It looks like it, Vince. I always get caught up in this narrative of long-term decline of the movie business, and no one is going to the movies. But when I check the stats, they always seem to be positive, uh, at least over the last 12 months or so. So year to date, uh, this is per Box Office Mojo, which is the source we consulted last year, late summer. Total domestic box office gross receipts are $8.34 billion, and that's up about 10% versus 2017. Now, if you're like me, you always like to ask the skeptical question, yeah, but what about the price of tickets? Is that making up all the difference? Um, average price per ticket this year is $9.27, and that's only about 3.3% ticket inflation, so not so bad. I'm going to Ask, I'm going to pause for a moment and ask you to guess what the highest opening weekend was so far this year. I'm okay. going to go guess ahead, go ahead. that it was a weekend I contributed to with my <laughs> wife and the three kids that were babysitting with Infinity War. You are absolutely right, Vince. I think you uh, pushed this movie over the hump in another competition that it has going with another great film. Um, which is actually Black Panther for title of highest grossing film of the year. But the honor of biggest opening weekend does indeed belong to Disney's Avengers Infinity War. It had $258 million on its opening weekend. 
Um, that beat out last year's biggest movie, which was The Last Jedi, which opened with a relatively smaller $220 million. Top five movies so far this year. I'm going to read numbers one through three first because they are all by the same studio, Disney Films. Uh, Buena Vista is the actual movie house that these are listed under. Black Panther in the top spot at $700 million. And Vince and family pushing Avengers Infinity War to a close second with $679 million. Um, Incredibles 2 has grossed $603 million. Now that's followed by Universal's Jurassic World, which has grossed $415 million, and Deadpool 2, which is a 21st Century Fox film, which has made $319 at the box office. So I want to do a bit of quick math here. Uh, last year, we were discussing through date, I think that was mid-August, that the top five films had made up about 25% of total box office receipts. This year, we've got about three more weeks of comparison, and the top five have made up about a third of total receipts. And the top 10 films have accounted for 45% of the total box office so far in 2018. So, Vince, I'm going to ask you to guess how much Disney made up of the total box office take this year how much of that is due to disney i'm gonna say i so i looked at this but only in the context of the top 10 films in terms of the disney contribution but for all, total receipts i'm gonna guess somewhere around 30 percent. that's why they pay you the big money that's why <laughs> that's why i get the second biggest money uh disney made up 32 percent um, of total box office receipts so far this year, that's about $2.7 billion year to date. And I just wanted to remind listeners, if you're wondering outside the films I named, what else makes up that total? Movies like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Solo, A Star Wars Story, A Wrinkle in Time, and Coco. And I just want to take a second. Vince, I thought, I'd read that Solo was a big flop this year. We still haven't seen it. In fact, it's it's so late now that it's only in the dollar theaters, and hopefully my family can still make it before the summer completely ends. But this film actually grossed $214 million, and it was the highest, uh, eighth, sorry, eighth highest grossing domestic film to date. Were you aware of that? I think everything, when you look at it like that, in terms of you know, $220 million sounds phenomenal, but relative to the budget and expectation is where you then get this um, kind of narrative that this angle that the movie was uh, a big a big flop because in the end it's a Star Wars title this is supposed to be a cash cow kind of a guaranteed hit for Disney and relative to the other uh, to the other reboot movies that Disney has released uh, under the Star Wars franchise and that includes the spinoffs like Rogue One too it has been a relative underperformer. True that the number cruncher in me is not. Uh, overly impressed, but that thinks it's a pretty decent performance. The film critic in me, though, will have to to wait for that. Uh, I think with any Star Wars film, the expectations are so high, and it pushes the studio into this precarious balance between monetizing these films to the utmost, um, but maybe having too much familiarity. Familiarity breeds contempt in the movie industry, um, as we know. So we'll have to see. Next year, we're slated for the next installment in the primary um, Star Wars uh, movies. So, on to movie houses. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'd like to add, uh, just f- with this context in terms of the do- the dominance that 
these big studios have, especially with Walt Disney, um, the fact that it made up half of the top ten highest grossing films in the U.S. You know, that's two point four billion dollars ticket sales for just five films, and sixty six percent of the total kind of pie for the top ten list, and that certainly helps to explain why their studio entertainment segment. Uh, revenue for that business is up 20% year over year uh, for uh, for the company through the first half of the year. And the only other thing I want to mention before we move on to um, it's just it still continues to surprise me how concentrated the box office is with the mega blockbusters. And I spot checked uh, some of the annual results going back to 1980. Top 10 films for the industry. So each year they consistently account for around 35. Percent, forty-five percent of annual sales each year, and looking at the volume of releases too among the top six studios. So that's Disney, Warner Brothers, Fox, Paramount, Sony, Universal. Uh, they're releasing fewer movies. So from nineteen ninety-five to two thousand, for example, they're averaging about one hundred and ten releases per year. The past five years, closer to eighty-five. On the flip side, studios outside that top um, that top six, they're seeing their volume increase. So another long-term. Trend, uh, and I think you mentioned this uh, earlier this episode, uh, and something that we've talked about before is the ongoing decline of ticket sales, where box office revenue does go up each year, not because the studios and theaters are selling more seats, but because they're successfully raising the price of each ticket. Um, you think about the wide variety of formats that are available now, including uh, IMAX, then it was 3D. IMAX 3D, and now they have stuff like 40X, uh, and also the reserved seating, the reclining chairs, all of those things helping to boost uh, ticket prices. Uh, At least in the DC area, I was looking up a 40X ticket uh, at a major theater makes a trip to the movies cost as much as $22 per person, which is uh, pretty pretty absurd in my in my opinion. But um, you know. The experience that 4DX, for example, is supposed to add, I haven't tried it yet, um, but my brother says it's pretty cool. Um, maybe not $22 per ticket cool, but you know we'll see. But based on the annualized estimate for this year, uh, 2018 could actually deliver the strongest year of ticket volume growth in almost 30 years. And I think a big driver of that is the, uh, the changing nature of theater attendance and some of the revenue models for the operators, and that's what we'll cover next. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. The breakthrough science Molecule introduced is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. and is replacing decades of antiquated technology. The HEPA filters that have been used to clean your air were developed in the 1940s with no major innovation since then. Now, Molecule's Pico technology goes beyond the HEPA filter to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. That includes pollutants 1,000 times smaller than what a traditional HEPA filter can catch. And you can actually feel the difference. Every year at the start of the summer, my wife has one month when waking up with itchy eyes, a stuffy nose, and a headache are pretty much guaranteed with how bad her allergies get. And I tease her often about the fact that her daily sneeze count would be in the dozens. But this year, we put a molecule in our bedroom, and after just two days of the molecule clearing the air in our apartment, My wife is a believer. She was waking up with more energy in the mornings that lasted throughout the day because she was sleeping a lot better, too. 
This was possible because Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers by re- significantly reducing their symptoms. One customer said that after using a Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified in university labs like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. And the Molecule is easy to use with a clean, sleek design. From the materials used to make the device uh, like its sleek, solid aluminum shell to the subscription service that regularly delivers filters straight to your doorstep when you need them. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and promo code FOOL. So we've covered some of the high-level uh, box office results, some of the trends that we've seen with the different studios and kind of dominance of a single one. Uh, those results for this year um, now I want to talk about MoviePass. So a lot of moviegoers will say that this star, this rising star, burned out a little too quickly, but its influence on the industry will hopefully be more permanent, at least from a consumer perspective. So I was a MoviePass subscriber until this past week, actually. Um, I've since been disappointed by the trajectory that the service took, some in terms of some of the changes that they've made to the features and things along those lines. But I said, why don't you start us off and walk us through the saga a little bit since uh, it really since MoviePass really took off late last year. So MoviePass was is a great idea um, in search of deep pockets. It found those deep pockets in a company called Helios and Matheson Analytics, an analytics company um, with skimpy pockets, but which thought that combining its expertise in analyzing data with a subscription service like MoviePass, together these two companies could deliver uh, valuable information to movies, uh, houses, production studios, uh, cinema chains. And so they joined up forces late last year. And since then, we've been able to see MoviePass's economics in the financials of Helios and Matheson Analytics. And they've been atrocious. Uh, The company has had to curtail its subscription model on successive occasions. I believe the latest uh, iteration is a plan which lets moviegoers see three movies um, in a month for $9.95. That's down from an unlimited uh, selection of movies. In addition, of that, you can only choose from six titles daily, which is also down from an unlimited amount of titles. Now, you can purchase additional tickets um, in each 30-day period at a $5 discount. However, even this reduced model, I believe, is very um, unsustainable. The reason is that uh, MoviePass has to pay the price of the ticket to the theater chains. And its business model, its business plan was to make money in two stages. One, it would ramp up subscribers, which it did into the millions. I believe the latest figure was 3.2 million subscribers that we have available to us. Once it had this huge subscription base, uh, the company would then try to sell data analytics to the entities I mentioned before, it would arrange for private screenings, it would promote movies through its uh, app. All of these alternative revenue streams have in some way materialized, but in an accounting sense, they're not material. They have not made an impact to the bottom line. So if you visualize this, after the first time a customer sees a movie during a month, MoviePass is actually at a neutral In fact, it hasn't covered a single cent of its overhead expenses. It's just 
recovered the first ticket that it then has to hand over to the movie house. After that, it gets in the red each time you see a movie. And the parent company, Helios and Matheson, has sustained enormous losses in a short amount of time. Um, its cash burn um, in six months, first six months of this year was $219 million. It recorded revenue of $122 million for the subscription services of MoviePass, while at the same time, its cost of revenue came in at $313 million. So this is a bad idea from an economic standpoint to run such a service through a third party. However, it might make sense for cinema chains to replicate that model because they already have the, the revenue and expenses on their own P&L. So I'm curious, Vince, I know we were chatting before the show, given that overview, you have some experience with MoviePass and I think you have uh, a relative who also has a very interesting experience with MoviePass. All right, I want to do this in in three stages. And Austin, I want to call you in on this because you mentioned that you're still currently a MoviePass subscriber, but you've been in it for what six months? Yeah, about six months. And you've seen how many movies in that time? I've seen probably about one movie a month. Okay, so one movie a month, you're paying nine bucks. Uh, it's like eight ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, so you're paying about nine bucks. But the thing is, theaters in this area usually around twelve, thirteen bucks, and MoviePass is footing that full bill to the theater operators. Correct. So even on that one movie, they're already losing a couple bucks. But let's be generous, and we'll play it by the average ticket price in the country. So around, you said around nine twenty five, right, Asset? That's correct. So one movie a month, nine twenty five. You're paying about nine bucks. Okay, so that seems like it could potentially be sustainable if we, you know, forget about all the overhead and the fixed costs. Let's just not worry about that stuff, right? This is a lean company. They can do this. They have an app that's in. I recently ended my membership. I was a member for about 11 months, and in that time, I counted through my history on the app. I saw about 27 movies. So, I would consider myself probably being on the higher end of volume. Uh, You know, most people don't have uh, the time or maybe necessarily even the interest to see as many as about two, three movies a month. But I want to bring in somebody who's absolutely an outlier, who's my brother. So he also recently ended his MoviePass subscription to sign up with the competing service, which we'll talk about. But I, I, I told him to give me a final tally before this show. He saw over 80 movies over a, about a 10-month period. So when you're seeing eight movies in a month and and DC ticket prices being around 12 bucks each, and that's that's low, frankly. Costing the company essentially $1,000, but only collecting about $100 in revenue uh, in terms of that monthly subscription. You can see why the company had some of the challenges with cash flow, why there have been all these changes to their service, the features that they offer, and why they have essentially gone from uh, not quite unlimited, but close to it, You know, one movie per day uh, each month. Uh, any movies out there that are available to now just three a month with the surcharge for additional viewings. Um, yeah, I, I, not everybody obviously is like my brother seeing that many movies. Is that I think he's probably in the top one percent, probably, but there's definitely a challenge when even somebody who's not, uh, who's not going as frequently like our producer Austin, there's, there's the system isn't sustainable. But let's look Man, at, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. Uh, Sorry to jump in there, Vince, but I hope the CFO of Helios and Matheson isn't listening to this podcast. You just identified a major source of their cash burn. (laughs) Exactly. Your cousin. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, you know, we look at the theater operators and what they're offering. Um, 
so there's been some cons- consolidation. Uh, one of the theater chains that we talked about on this sh- uh, kind of similar show last year is no longer in the running as a public uh, public company in terms of the stocks. But first, with Cinemark, uh, one of the two large remaining chains, um, it has a uh, offering called Movie Club. Um, this so this launched last year, eight ninety nine per month. What you get is one 2D ticket that rolls over if it's unused. So you can kind of build those uh, rollover tickets if you don't go that often. Plus 20% off concessions, and there's no online fees for when you buy them, uh, buy those tickets. And then you can get up to two additional add-on tickets for $8.99 each. In my opinion, um, I don't know what you, th- I don't know about you, Asit, in terms of what you think, but that's not even close to the value that competing services offer, and especially the if you consider the gold standard what MoviePass originally offered, getting one ticket per day. Um, and I feel like it's only a matter of time until Cinemark has to step up their game. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's a toe in the water. The thing about Cinemark that we should recognize is that it's a little bit smaller than the biggest uh, company in the world, which is AMC. AMC has um, about $2.8 billion of revenue uh, in the first six months of this year versus Cinemark's $1.6 billion. So it's a little smaller, but it's more profitable. It has a lot less debt than AMC does. Tends to run a tidier shop in that sense. And so they're a little more circumspect on jumping into new ideas like this. Uh, having said that, I think that they probably are going to be forced to sweeten their deal um, when we'll look at AMC's offer, their subscription service, in just a second. I did want to point out uh, about both of these companies, though, to this point of finding other sources for revenue. What's interesting to me is if you look at Cinemark's profit and loss statement, as well as AMC's, they are both ramping up the other section of their revenue. So you might think I'm referring to concessions revenue. I'm actually not. That's the second category after tickets. And this other revenue, as defined by Cinemark, includes screen advertising, transactional fees, and other ancillary revenues, such as vendor marketing promotions and meeting rentals located in the company's theaters." End quote. That's very fascinating to me. Um, Cinemark increased its other revenues about 90% year-over-year in this first six-month period of this year to around $140 million. Similarly, AMC increased its other revenue by about 52% uh, in the first six months of this year. So these companies are actively looking for new ways to support their business model other than relying on concessions. And I think the subscription model plays into that, especially as Vince points out, if you can increase volume, if you can increase the frequency of customers coming in, then you have a chance to throw these other uh, services and let's not forget concessions better concessions at them. What are your thoughts, Vince? Well, I think anybody who's gone to see a movie recently, um, they have noticed the change in terms of the the kind of the pre uh, the pre feature film experience, I guess. You, know, you go in, you get a good seat, assuming you don't have to have a reserved seat, let's say 20, 30 minutes in advance, you see the advertising start rolling through um, all the pre-movie uh, commercials and things that they do. That you can see how that has manifested itself in terms of uh, the additional revenue that these companies are generating, and it's definitely impressive to see you know that ninety percent growth for Cinemark, about fifty percent growth for AMC, and it's definitely something I'm sure these management teams are very happy about. Might be a small 
piece of the revenue pie for the time being, but I'm sure that's something they're going to be pushing forward on. But if we uh, go on to competing services, and now we look at um, AMC's case, uh, you know they've traded up about 30% year to date, uh, and they have uh, what they call their A-list membership. So this is actually something worth writing home about for $20 per month. And this is, by the way, what my brother transitioned to in terms of his preferred uh, movie-going subscription service. So for $20 per month, you get three movies per week in any format and the ability to reserve your tickets in advance. So it might not be original movie pass good, but 12 movies per month, I I imagine that's got to cover something like 98% of most movie-going consumers. And when you're at the scale and position that AMC is in uh, within the industry, um, they are just much more able to negotiate with the studios and take any hits from those lower average receipts per ticket and make up for that uh, in what we've talked about in terms of concessions and those other uh, revenue streams. Um, for AMC specifically, though, I said, you know, are we seeing any momentum from A-List, for example, uh, start to come through in their results this year? Well, we know that they have, in a short amount of time, They've enlisted 260,000 paid subscribers. That is, you know, a very fast rate for a service which essentially launched in late June, uh, and it exceeds the rate that MoviePass grew at. So potentially, it's not going to be a big leap for the company com- to convert more subscribers like your brother from the dying MoviePass to its own coffers. Uh, so we know that it's got the wherewithal to uh, bring on these subscribers. Something very interesting. In this, uh, I think this may come to uh, an age differential here. For me, it sounds like a interesting proposition, but I know for younger people, I have teenage sons. Vince, you have a younger brother and, and, and cousins. They are actually millennials, that is, are looking for experiences rather than acquiring things. I'm hearing words that I have not heard ever uh, this year from my teenagers, like um, a bougie. Uh, Cinema Hall. This I'm referring to a place called Alamo, uh, <laughs> which many of our listeners may be familiar with. I have yet to go. I want to. Um, a word like Luke's, which is another way to refer to a cool experience where you pay a little more for. But I think there's a lot of value in that. I think it's number one, just above and beyond the economics. It's a great way to live life is to spend on experiences. And if you pay a little more for a fun experience, something that enriches you, all the better uh, if both the person providing the service and the person who's receiving the experience both derive some value. So I see where AMC can capitalize on this hunger or thirst for a better experience. It, it has um, screenings at half off for members. It's got advanced reservations, some you know premium items that you get by using the app. So to me, this is a good business proposition. And at the very beginning of this episode, I talked about MoviePass being a good idea in search of deep pockets. Well, AMC has the, the pockets. I do always ping them a little bit because they have a lot of debt on their books, but they're much more financially viable and stable than a tiny entity like Helios and Matheson. Uh, what are your thoughts on the viability and strength of this service going forward? Well, it certainly helps in this case uh, to not be the first mover because um, that first movie was in a third-party position, like you said, and and ultimately had something that was just too good to be true. 
Whereas with A-List, they've addressed a lot of the pain points that I think they saw in the feedback, probably just watching that Twitter feed uh, for MoviePass and seeing all these people complaining about uh, not being able to reserve seats in advance, uh, not being able to see other formats, uh, at least without paying a premium, and taking care of that because of the fact that they're operating these movie houses. I'll say that you know uh, this is just one data point, but for somebody at that high volume level, uh, my my brother, he's actually older, he is very very pleased and more than happy to pay you know double what he was paying previously in terms of that monthly membership fee, but very happy with the consistent much smoother experience. No more instances where you're showing up to theater and realize that for some reason the app's not working and you're going home or you're going to have to just. Uh, suck it up essentially and pay for the ticket out of pocket. But with that, um, I'm going to close out our discussion. Any final thoughts from you, Asit, in terms of the trajectory for this business? Definitely bullish in terms of what it could potentially mean growing attendance and what that means for concessions and those other revenue streams. But uh, any other thoughts? Really quick thoughts. So we mentioned Regal Entertainment can't invest in that anymore. It was acquired by the British concern Cineworld. Um, AMC has done pretty well up to uh, year to date. I believe it's up upwards of 30%. And uh, commensurately, Cinemark is also up this year, I think about 12% or so. Don't quote me on those figures, listeners. They'll have changed anyway by the time you hear this episode. Bottom line is, both of these companies are responding to uh, the increase in box office and their own ability to capitalize once they get the traffic in. They remain interesting companies to keep on your watch screen. Uh, and I am really eager next year to return, we'll look at concessions uh, a year from now and this other revenue category that we talked about to see how profitability might have changed. Yep. And also the evolutions to these uh, these kind of subscription t- uh, movie-going ex- services and uh, any competing offerings that jump out. And also you know, checking to see if MoviePass is still around and what shape and form has taken at that point. Thanks for joining us, Asset. Thanks a lot. This was great fun. Fools, thanks for listening. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Full we'll on.